0: Joining me right now on the Western Hotline is the hockey media mogul himself, Martan Biron, joins me right now on WGR. Marty, thanks again for taking the time out of your busy weekend. Happy belated Canada Day to you, good sir.
1: Well, happy belated Canada Day to you as well. Happy early 4th of July. And uh, I think you got Elliot Friedman coming on later. I do. I would suggest he's the mogul, he's the insider. I just... uh, Kind of tag along with these these people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will. I, I mean, you you are the the OG hockey media mogul, Marty. We we coined that phrase for you. I mean, geez, what was it three years ago now? With that that uh-huh. super lucrative open, it was a great open, and I wish we still had it because I would play it every time you join the show. But <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, maybe I'll ask upper management if we can bring back that open at some point for you.
1: That would be great, but every time Howard Simon gives somebody a nickname, it has to stick, right? So he was the one that came up with it, I believe and, yeah, uh, that is going to stick for a long time.
0: yeah, I mean, he also has the nickname "hose to him, so I mean that that's that's a great nickname as well. He didn't come up with it himself. I think it was when they went to Columbus on like a hockey trip or something. Jeremy and a bunch of the other people on the bus came up with it, and it just stuck ever since. So weird how nicknames work, right? <laughs> That
1: that is how nicknames work, and the best ones are the ones that are in, unexpected. Like they just happen. Uh, I I still I'm with PD. We talk about it on the insiders a lot. Nicknames now in the, in the sports world, but mostly hockey, are so boring. I can't like I want to see these fun uh, nickname that uh, that would come back like they they used to have them. Uh, you know, thirty forty years ago.
0: Right. Marty Baron joining me here on the West Western Hotline as we're talking some hockey today as the Sabres made the official hire of Don Granato on Tuesday, officially introduced him to the Buffalo media on Thursday, made the news official. And now the offseason, Marty, it's going to get really interesting. But before we dive into that, just want to get your overall thoughts on the hire of Don Granato and if you feel this was the right move for the Sabres going forward.
1: Absolutely. I thought there was only two options moving forward. One was Don Granato and... And when he was moved to the interim coach of the Sabres after the firing of Ralph Kruger, I thought this is only to finish the season, reset in the offseason, and let's see what the Sabres and Kevin Adams will do for the upcoming year. Uh, Then I watched the Sabres, first of all, in practice, uh, but also in games. And and there was so much to like with how Don Granato would push the guys in practice. The pace was better. They didn't practice a whole lot. But you could see a big difference, and most importantly, the system that uh, that he played with. Uh, it, it looked like an NHL team. Uh, the positioning was good, and then you, you know you see the uh, the turnaround in the year that Rasmus Dahlin had, that Casey Mills, that Tage Thompson, the young players. So I think this bodes well for the Buffalo Sabres. So the option one was Don Granado. Option two was for me go after somebody like Gerard Gallant. Uh, But I think Gerard Gallant had pretty much his pick of the litter, and uh, the Rangers came in, and after a really nice world championship where uh, he got gold medal for Team Canada, Gerard Gallant uh, got to go to the New York Rangers. So I, I was happy for him. That's a good spot for Gerard Gallant. Uh, but I'm happy for the Sabres because I think that Don Granado is the right pick.
0: Who do you think this hire benefits the most? I talked with your your partner on the Sabres TV broadcast, Brian Duff, yesterday, and I'll ask you the same question. If there's anybody on this roster that it has benefited the most that Don Granado is sticking around, who is it? And I know that we saw a bunch of these younger players really turn around their games after the firing of Kruger and, and Don Granado taking over and allow them to be themselves on the ice, but who do you feel that this move benefits the most going forward now into the longer-term picture?
1: Oh, I think it's uh, Rasmus Dallin. Uh, you look at the numbers. Uh, first half of the season, he was minus 30 or whatnot in and, and, uh, not even 30 games. Uh, the numbers were atrocious. And then in the second half, although I believe the team talent-wise was not as good because you didn't have Eichel, you didn't have Taylor Hall, you didn't have Eric Stahl. You didn't have Lena Solmark. You didn't have Jake McCabe. You didn't have a lot of players. Uh, but the team was better, and Rasmus Dalin was way better, and his numbers showed that way. Uh, simple things. Like, I, I do believe Phil Housley, Ralph Kruger kind of played the same defensive system where it was more man-on-man. Guys were chasing all over the place. And I don't think that really worked well for a guy like Rasmus Dalin. He was used to playing more of his own coverage, You've got your quadrant. You're not chasing anybody. And that helps transitioning for Darlene because he, he knows where he's got to be. He knows he can support from the weak side. And then all of a sudden you saw Darlene, you know, jump in the rush. You saw him carry the puck through the neutral zone. Uh, and he didn't have to spend 40, 45 seconds in his own defensive zone and then tired and can't go up the ice. So I think it really benefited uh, Rasmus Dalin and the way that he, uh, that he likes to play and playing to his strength.
0: Marty Baron joining us here on the Wester hotline, the Sabres this week, introducing Don Granado as the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres, the 20th head coach in franchise history. So now with the head coaching hire out of the way, Marty, what do you believe is next going forward for the Sabres? Is it mainly focusing on the draft and the expansion draft? Is it I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit of everything with also the Jack Eichel move going on, but how do you think Kevin Adams plays this out here going forward? Could we see a Jack Eichel trade happen before the expansion draft? What do you think happens? Well, I've been
1: on the record, since I don't think Jack Eichel is getting traded uh, this summer. So, I mean, that to me, uh, there's too many obstacles in the way. One is cap hit uh, moving forward. There's not a lot of teams that can afford a 10 million dollar cap hit for five years because the flat the flat cap the cap's not going up the revenues have not been where uh, they wanted to especially with the pandemic and it's going to take years to recover to the return has to be unbelievable for for kevin adams to make the trade so you know teams have to be willing to uh, to take a you know a flyer and 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 get rid of top end prospects and really good players so I don't know that that's going to happen. And three is the health of Jack Eichel. So there's too many things in the way. I don't think it's going to happen. But I'm on the minority uh, when it comes to that. You'll talk to Elliot Friedman, and Elliot will probably tell you uh, it's uh, it's eminent that a Jack Eichel trade is happening. So um, I don't have any information. These guys have most of the information, but I, I just don't see it happening. But for Kevin Adams, I think he's got to look at trading players. He's got to look at. What will get him the best value? He's got to be able to get prospects. He's got to be able to get NHL players that will make a difference. Um, and you're looking at Sam Reinhart and Rasmus Ristolainen. that's probably two of the players that can get you the best return. So that's where you're spending your time right now. you got the coach uh, search done. You, you picked your head coach. Now you've got to work on the trades and seeing if there's value in any of your players that you may be looking to trade. Um, I, I read something somewhere that uh, uh, the Sabres have not talked to Owen Power yet. Why? Because they're set at number one. They don't need to go in and do a deep interview process to see what they're going to do at number one. They have to figure out what else can they do now before expansion draft, before the draft, to be able to maximize the value of something that they would be in the works with, uh, with trade. So that, that's what I think is the next step. Uh, on the agenda for Kevin Adams.
0: Speaking of that number one draft, it is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, with Owen Power and Matthew Beniers, they're arguably the one-two right at the top of the draft. Do you see this any way the Sabres don't take Owen Power and maybe take Matthew Beniers? What are your thoughts on how they approach that number one pick?
1: No, I don't think there's any, in my opinion, uh, after talking to many experts and, and people that do their draft list and have seen those players play, uh at the under 18 or at Michigan or whatnot um I think it's Owen Power number one uh listen he's not in my opinion he's not going to be playing for the Sabres next year so this is not where you have to draft a guy and bring him into your lineup and I think long term I really like a big strong steady defenseman like Owen Power you have Rasmus Dahlin, that is more your puck moving up the ice defenseman. You have a young Okiario. You? you have Will Borgen, that is more of a stay at home physical. You've got a great, you know, great bones on the back end right now, and adding an Owen Power would would solidify that probably for the next seven eight years. Right, so uh, it's not about next season; it's about the long the, the the long game. But I really believe Owen Power is the guy that. Uh, uh, that the Sabres would, would be uh, benefiting and picking this year at number one overall. And then if you can make an Eichel trade or a Reinhardt trade or whatnot, and you can get a, another top 10 pick, um, then you can look at uh, maybe uh, you know Matt Berniers, although people think he's going to go second overall. But there's a lot of other good talent in the top 10, and that's going to be interesting to see what the Sabres would do with that.
0: Corey and I were having this discussion, Marty, just before we had gone to break and gotten to you about the, the potential of Erasmus and move and just, and also the idea of how they approach that position going forward with the expansion draft. I mean, with one year left on his deal at $5.4 million, and I think a lot of teams know exactly what Rasmus Ristolainen brings to the table. How do they how do they approach him going into the offseason where he's openly said for three straight years now, either the fact that I know that change is coming, I'm likely one of the first people out, and he also said this year he's not open for a, for a, uh, a rebuild here in Buffalo, and he needs to get to the playoffs. How do they approach Rasmus Ristolainen for a third straight year?
1: Well, I mean, if you look at the expansion draft, right, so you've got uh, uh, one or two more defensemen uh, that you would like to keep, uh, but you can only protect three. Um, So does that leave Rasmus Ristelainen open? I I would think not. The problem is if you leave Risto open, you're not getting anything in return. The only thing you're getting is the cap space that you're saving, uh, over $5 million. But I do believe that Rasmus Ristelainen can get you a decent return. So you got to look to trade. If your idea was to say, Hey, we, uh, we want to keep Dallin. We want to keep Yoki, Yoki, are you? We want to protect Morgan. Those are the guys you'd think to protect to build for the future. That leaves Risto on the out. I would think that you'd be looking at a trade instead of losing him uh, and not get anything in return. So that's the number one thing. The, the thing with Risto is I believe he's strong. He, he can skate. He can be physical, um, he's got a good shot. He can be, uh, you know, he creates some offense. I just don't think he gets the game and the systems and how to defend uh, like he should. I mean, this is not a first or second year defenseman in the National Hockey League uh, and say, oh, he'll learn, he'll learn, he'll learn. By this point, you would think that some of the mistakes in coverage and some of the, at times where he gets lost uh, in the defensive zone. Should, uh, should be remedied. It shouldn't happen anymore. Now, some people are going to say, well, yeah, but he's had six coaches. I mean, it's hard for him to be able to to, to gather like what he's supposed to do. Uh, but at the same time, some, when you get caught in, in, in your loss in your zone, you usually revert to your internal instincts. And I don't think that his defensive instincts are good at all. So I would, I would definitely move on from Risto, and I would build with, like I said, Dallin, you uh, Samuelson, Borgen, Owen Power, if you pick him first, uh, that's what I would be building with on the back end.
0: Marty Baron joining us here on the Western Hotline. All right, Marty, I'll move on to the Stanley Cup final now. And, well, Montreal's now on the brink, down 3 nothing. Tampa Bay will look to close out the series on Monday with a sweep. It'll be the first sweep in the Stanley Cup final since 1998. Is Montreal done, Marty?
1: Yeah, it actually feels a lot like 98. And we all remember in 98, the Sabres lost to Washington in the conference finals. uh, And then Washington went out to play Detroit. And it was like, oh, my goodness, Washington just ran out of juice. Uh, Olaf Kolzig was human again. Uh, You know, their top players like Joe Juno and Adam Oates and all those guys uh, looked uh, like they they ran out of gas. And this is what I'm seeing out of Montreal. Like, Carey Price looks human right now where he was – probably their most valuable player in the first three rounds. Uh, All of a sudden, Cole Caulfield is slowed down a little bit. Nick Suzuki slowed down. Josh Anderson, you're like, where is Josh Anderson? You're not seeing anything out of him. The big four defense are not really getting the job done. So, yeah, for that matter, I think Montreal is done. And if you look at the first three games, game one, total domination by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Game two, Montreal dominated the Tampa Bay Lightning and did not win. So that's one that got, you know, that slipped away for Montreal. In game three, they made Vasilevsky look human again. Like, he got beat on three clean shots. Um, That doesn't usually happen to Vasilevsky often, but you still didn't win. So now you look at it, you say, okay, well, we dominated Tampa one game, we lost. We, you know, made the other goalie look bad and he gave gave up bad goals and we still lost. So uh, it it just doesn't look like it's in the cards for uh, the Montreal Canadiens. And I would expect this is going to end Monday. If not, it's ending Wednesday. Uh, Tampa is not going to lose at home uh, to the Montreal Canadiens when they can clinch in front of their fans uh, and give them that, that, that satisfaction last year. Tampa won the cup in the bubble in Edmonton. Uh, I think this year they want to close it out on Monday, but if not, Wednesday it's over.
0: Who's going to win the Con Smythe, by the way? Because.